Well, hey, good morning, church. Welcome to week two of our series called Witnesses. As we prepare for Easter, which is coming up in about three weeks, we're so excited. Uh, we're praying and trying to finalize the details of uh, facilities so we could have live in-person service. Hey, would you open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9? Uh, we're continuing our series on witnesses, and we're going to um, discuss and really uh, come to terms with three uh, concepts and ideas in Jesus' ministry, which is uh, prayer, which is kingdom, and a witness, and what it means to be a witness. You know, one of the great lessons that I learned in my grad school, which the pandemic reinforced, is this lesson, that we are human beings, not human doings. Let me repeat that. We are human beings, not human doings. I think most times uh, we get so caught up with tasks and checklists and to-dos and we fill our calendars with um, to-do lists that um, we don't sit still and just be before God. I mean, if you think about creation, how God created uh, everything uh, the first five days so that on the sixth day, God created people, human beings, and on the first day of creation, God created Adam to rest and just to be. And uh, I think that really brought it home with um, Francis Chan a couple years ago. He was here for a conference. We had a, a Simply Jesus conference or Jesus Pure and Simple conference. And uh, Francis Chan, you know, I was expecting this like hardcore radical message, sell all your stuff and go to missions. But uh, he went on stage at uh, Farrington and Farrington High School and he brought his uh, daughter, carried her, brought her on stage and said, this is what it's all about. You know, my daughter right here, just uh, cherishing this moment, just being held by her dad and just being still and falling asleep and just loving on that. This is what it's all about. I said, yeah, you know, straight A's and getting good grades and getting a good, getting to a good college and getting a good career. That's all fine and good. But this connection of just being with her father. And um, that's going to be a challenge for us because in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus, he goes about preaching He's teaching about the kingdom. He's teaching in the synagogues. He's proclaiming that the kingdom of God is here. He's doing ministry. He's healing the sick. And he sees a great crowd. And as he sees the great crowd, instead of telling the disciples to go out and he sends out the 72 in Matthew chapter 10, he first tells them, hey, let's just be with the Father. Let's commune, abide in the Father, spend time in prayer. See, instead of doing ministry and preaching and teaching and healing and proclaiming, he tells them, hold, wait, 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 before you do all that, let's go ahead and pray first. Let's urge the Lord of the harvest and let's be with the Father instead about just doing stuff in 
the name of the Father. So in Matthew chapter 9, let's go ahead and turn there. We'll start from verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, look at Jesus' reaction or his response to the crowd, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. That's a good thing, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This is the word of the Lord. This morning, I just want to address here the importance of the kingdom of God and how prayer fits into our witness as the people of God. And here's our takeaway point. Here's the big, big idea this morning. Would you write this down? That God's great work of harvest is preceded by God's people pleading in great prayer. In other words, God has this MO, this modus operandi of doing great work of harvest. And his great work that he does, it's always preceded by the people of God spending time in great prayer. Almost every revival that we could trace from the day of Pentecost to uh, the Reformation through uh, all the great revivals all throughout history, it's marked by great prayer by the people of God. Great work of God is preceded by great prayer by the people of God. And about 180 years ago, there was a man who was a businessman in, in New York. Um, there was a great harvest in history during that time because towards the middle of the last century, uh, the glow of religious awakening, it kind of waned down. America was prosperous and it felt little need to call on God. But in the 1850s, the secular and religious conditions combined brought a crash. There was a third great panic in American history, and it swept through the structure of wealth. Thousands of merchants were forced to the wall as banks failed, as railroads went bankrupt. Factories were shut down, and vast numbers were thrown out of employment. New York City alone at that time had 30,000 idle men out on the streets. And in October 1857, hearts of people were thoroughly weaned from speculation and certain gain, while hunger and despair stared them in the face. There was a quiet man named Jeremiah Lanfear, who God had placed in his heart just to pray. So on July 1st, 1857, he was sent out as a lay missionary by the North Church uh, Dutch Reformed denomination. 
and he basically started a prayer meeting. And on September 23rd, 1857, at noontime, he wrote out this flyer. He said that the door would be opened at his place and he would start praying. And as noon struck, he waited five minutes. Nobody was there. Ten minutes, 15 minutes, 30 minutes. Nobody was there. But around 1231, a single step was heard on the stairs and the first person appeared. Then another and another until six people were present and the prayer meeting began. On October 7th, 40 intercessors, 40 people started praying at noontime for the, for the city of New York that God would send forth a revival. Within six months, tens and thousands of businessmen gathered around for daily prayer in New York. And within two years, one million converts came to Christ in American churches, all because of one man, Jeremy Lanfear, and the people of God praying in great prayer, and God in turn turned a great harvest. So I have two main points for us um, in Matthew chapter 9. Uh, let's start here in verse 35. The first application that I want us to walk away with is this. Proclaim the full gospel of the kingdom. Proclaim the full gospel of the kingdom. Look, look at verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. You see here, um, as Jesus went out, then there's these participles of proclaiming and teaching and healing. That as he went out, he did these different things. Uh, Matthew chapter 9, actually, it, it captures and it capsulates uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, where Jesus went out throughout Galilee and it said the same thing. He healed, he proclaimed, and he taught the kingdom of God. I think uh, most often, especially in, in evangelical America here, uh, the gospel is limited to just through the proclamation or the sharing of the gospel. But Jesus here has a holistic approach of not just teaching, but he proclaimed with authority. And not only did he proclaim the gospel, the kingdom of God, but he healed. There was an accompaniment that happened. Um, I think a picture of this is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4 to 5. Paul says, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. So there's election. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. Gospel proclamation is accompanied by power demonstration. 
In other words, the proclamation of the kingdom of God, it is coupled with the demonstration of the Holy Spirit's power. That the gospel was not limited to words that were taught, as Paul says, the we know that you're chosen because the word, the gospel did not only come in word, but how? In power. Remember the word power in Acts chapter 1 verse 8? Dunamis, it's not dynamite, but it means that God gives us the, the ability and the capability. The God's, that the gospel comes in the demonstration of the Holy Spirit. Now we have cessationist. Cessationist meaning we are, there's fellow Christians out there uh, who love Jesus, but they have different convictions. Uh, I think uh, Martin Luther says, in essentials, unity. We must be unified in essentials. In non-essentials, uh, liberty. Things that are important, like should we worship with drums? Should we worship with lifting hands? What color carpet do we wear? Should we meet in a building? Should we meet outside? Those are non-essentials. We should have... Uh, liberty and give people freedom to do that, but in all things charity. Now we have brothers and sisters who believe that the spiritual gifts like prophecy, like healing, like miracles, like words of knowledge, they seize, cessationist, they seized or the spiritual gifts died with the last apostle. But if we are to be intellectually honest and if we want to be biblically responsible, we have to look and take into account that the mission is still the same. Therefore, God's work and God's methods uh, of reaching people, of Jesus' ministry, threefold ministry of uh, teaching and proclaiming and healing, it all comes together. Uh, some would argue that the most evident sign of the Holy Spirit's power is um, the power of a transformed life, which is, I agree, which is good. But the kingdom of God, when it bursts forth, when it pushes back the kingdom of darkness... It, does, it just doesn't affect the spiritual realm. When you are saved, it just doesn't affect, it just doesn't change the fact that you go to heaven, but it changes you holistically. It changes you from the inside out. It changes everything about you. Your desires change. Uh, your countenance change. Everything changes. And not only uh, is your spiritual fate changed, but Physically, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of this world right now, there's sickness, there's death, there's cancer, there's illness. But that's just because that's the way things are, it does not mean that's the way things should be. So when the kingdom of darkness, or this, uh, Paul says in Galatians 1, this present evil age of sickness and death, and the kingdom of God comes, it overtakes it, and it pushes back the darkness. Of course, um, I believe physical healing is included in that because you look through the life of Jesus, you look through Paul, demonstration of the Holy Spirit, it, it accompanies gospel proclamation is accompanied 
by Holy Spirit demonstration. Uh, and if you look at Jesus' own words, look at John chapter 14, verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me, how many believers in the house, will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Do you see here the connection between belief in God or faith and works that we will do? Jesus, he marries these two together. It's inseparable that if you believe in me, then you will do the works that I do. What happens to Christ happens to those who are in Christ. And Jesus says, even greater things you'll do than Jesus because now the Holy Spirit has come from the Father. So what am I trying to get at here? What I'm trying to say is this, that we are to contend for kingdom advancement of teaching, of proclaiming, but also healing, that we need to have a holistic approach, that Jesus didn't come, just didn't come to save people spiritually, but he, Jesus came to heal people physically. When we are witnesses, and we ask people to believe in Jesus and He will save your soul. You and I, as witnesses, just like Jesus, we must proclaim the full gospel of the kingdom. We must have faith and we must believe that whatever we ask in Jesus' name, Jesus said it, I believe it, it's settled. That whatever we ask in Jesus' name, He will do it for the glory of the Father. I can't tell you how many miracles and how many people that I personally uh, experience and witness that maybe they were unbelievers and we, I, we prayed for healing and then healing happened. Maybe it had happened to their child. And can I just say this? <laughs> God knows us. Um, he knows our inward parts that we're fearfully, wonderfully made, but... God knows your kryptonite. God knows my kryptonite. And sometimes um, it's through a loved one that we come to know Christ. Uh, I have a best friend. He started going to church and he got saved. And he's now a pastor because his kryptonite was girls. He went to Bible study for the girls. But I, there's been personal experience of maybe a child or a spouse or a family member that did not believe, that closed their hearts, but we prayed for them. And we not only prayed for their physical healing, but we prayed for their spiritual healing. Yes, the greatest work that the Holy Spirit can do is change a trans and, and transform a human heart and enlighten a darkened understanding into the light of the gospel but 
if we want to preach the full gospel, we must include, because the kingdom of God is here now, but it's not fully here yet, that it invades not only the, the spiritual, but it invades and intersects into the physical realm. And that's why we contend for physical healing. So contend for the full gospel, just like Jesus. If you want to do what Jesus did, WWJD, what would Jesus do? He prayed uh, for spiritual needs, but he also prayed for physical and felt needs as well. Secondly, would you write this down? Respond to brokenness with compassion. Respond to brokenness with compassion. Look at verse 36. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. There's a New Testament scholar. His name is uh, Dr. Donald Hagner. And he says that word compassion is the word that the Gospels writers use to describe Jesus' response to need. See, when Jesus saw the crowd, the great crowd, he responded. He didn't react, right? Because reaction, we can't help it, but response is something that we choose. When Jesus saw the crowds, he responded how? With compassion. Why? Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. This word uh, compassion in Greek is, is plognizomai. It means to have great feeling for, to have great empathy for, to feel with. Uh, the word of splognizomai is splagna, which means intestines, that it goes almost to the gut of who we are that it hurts us to the heart, it hurts us. It's like a punch in the stomach that when Jesus saw people, his response was not apathy. Like some of us, when we see brokenness around us, maybe you go through Chinatown or downtown and you see the rows and rows of um, homeless people and homelessness, and you see the encampment of tents. There's oftentimes it's accompanied by uh, people with mental illness, just walking around, talking to themselves, yelling to the top of the, you know, having an imaginary friend. And sometimes our response is overwhelmed. Like, what possible difference can I make? What can I do? Or the other side of that is instead of feeling overwhelmed, we just completely feel apathetic, like we're completely unfazed, completely untouched, completely unmoved by the brokenness around us, by the dysfunction around us. Sometimes we feel like, uh, like a mosquito under Niagara Falls trying to take a sip but it just overwhelms us and we feel like we're just, we'll drown with what's happening. Um, 
you know, C.S. Lewis um, has a great quote when he said, the opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. The opposite of love is not hate because hate, at least there's emotion. Love, there's this great feeling, this great empathy for. But the opposite of love is indifference, that there's nothing. No fluttering of the heart, no response, just completely stoic. We're completely unmoved. And um, But Jesus, His response to the world around him, to the brokenness of people, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. In the Old Testament, um, Israel was referred to the sheep or the pas- or the flock of God's people, and the shepherds referred to the leaders, whether it's the prophets or the judges. But in any case, um, nobody cared enough to do anything. Nobody stood as a witness to do good. Nobody stood as a witness to uh, love their neighbor. And Jesus here, he does something and he prays. He gets his disciples, hey, before you guys go out and do stuff for God, why don't we be with God and let's plead Earnestly to the Lord of the harvest that he would send more hard labors into the harvest field. Now, if you could think of the two most famous parables of Jesus, if you're to narrow it down, I think one of them would definitely be the good Samaritan, right? In Luke chapter 10, verse 25 to 37. In verse 33, this is a part that we might overlook. But as a Samaritan, as he journeyed and came to where he was, when he saw the man beaten down, he had compassion for him. That's the same word. Both the priests and the Levites, they turned away and passed by the man laying there half dead. But when the Samaritan passed by, like Jesus, the Samaritan felt this great empathy That he didn't feel bad for the man that was left for half dead, but he felt bad with him. He had compassion for him. And the second most famous of Jesus' parables is probably the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. And do you guys remember when the father saw his son, the, the youngest son? While he was still a long way off, his father, his father ran and embraced him and he had compassion for him. And this is the heart of God for the world around us. This is, you know, we sing that song, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. And this is the depth of God's heart for the world that is suffering with injustice, with hate, with all the wrongs in this world. God feels empathy. He's filled with compassion 
for his people. And Jesus, he not only has, he has, he has compassion on the crowd. Look at Matthew chapter 14, verse 14. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. So for the general population, if it's a great crowd or a small crowd, regular crowd, God had compassion. It wasn't just a sea of nameless faces. God knew each one by name. He calls them unto himself. So Jesus, he feels this compassion for people. Not only compassion for the great crowd, but compassion on the one for individuals. Look at Luke chapter 7, verse 13, and we'll close with this. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came and touched the buyer, and the bearer stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. The Lord has great compassion, and this compassion that he has, it became an impetus for him to get the disciples to pray. Because before a great work of harvest can be accomplished, there must be first the people of God standing in great prayer. Great harvest and the great work of God is first preceded by the people of God in great prayer. Look at verse 37. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. How's your prayer life this morning? Is being a witness and praying to the Lord of harvest, is that in your radar? Is that in your peripheral? Is that in your priorities? Does that take up real estate in your mind? How many of us uh, pray before we head to work? Lord, help me be a witness. Lord, fill me with compassion. Lord, send me. Because remember last week that God has no plan B. You and I, we're plan A. It's the, the good news, the gospel of the kingdom. A drug addict to be set free. It's only through Jesus and the kingdom of God breaking forth that cancer can be healed. It's only through Jesus and the good news this morning of him crucified that a man could stop abusing his, his wife or stop abusing his children. It's only through Jesus and the gospel being proclaimed that the gospel would not only come in word, but in demonstration and power of the Holy Spirit, that there's complete transformation. Romans 1, 1.16 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God, the power of God into salvation. So this morning, um, I'll close with Isaiah, where God says, who, who, who shall, whom shall we send? Who will go before us? 
And Isaiah said, here I am, send me. May we have that yes heart this morning. May we respond to the great commission and be a witness, stand, pay the price of prayer, have some courage, be a spirit-empowered witness for Jesus and live out the gospel, amen? Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for this morning, oh God. We thank you, Lord, for transformed life in each one of us. As we learned a couple months ago, Lord, in Psalms that uh, you're blessed because uh, you heal every disease, that you forgive all of our iniquities, that you restore our soul, Lord, that you renew our youth like the eagles. And so, Father, I pray right now, Lord, that you would transform, Lord, our hearts, that we'd be people of compassion, oh, Lord Jesus, that we would be moved by the world around us, and that compassion, Lord, would lead, Lord, to prayer and to initiative, Lord, that you would send us as witnesses. So, Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us, empower us, Lord, especially this Easter. We believe, oh, Lord God, that there will be a great harvest, Lord, but we pray as a people of God that you would send laborers into the harvest field because the laborers are few, but the harvest is plentiful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.